Okay, I'm um, gonna call to order the meeting of the Finance Committee of Alameda Health System. Uh, first, uh, just a quick comment on the agenda. We're going to trade some minutes uh, because Kim and I both felt that the, uh, uh, the item on the 2023 budget was a little meatier than the 10 minutes that had been allocated to it. So uh, Kim is gonna take 10 minutes off her CFO presentation and then we'll have 30 minutes to talk about the budget item. So and with that, I would recognize a motion to approve the minutes of the last meeting, which was- Why don't we March. take roll first? Oh, taking roll, okay. Thank you, Trustee Blue. It's not in the room, I'll reach out to her. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Splendorio. Here. And Trustee Esteen is excused, but we do have a quorum. Okay, now on to the minutes. Uh, any, I have one uh, correction to the minutes. Uh, on, on item C3, uh, there is a, a word thy, T-H-Y, and I think you're intending to say they, Rana. I think so, sorry about that. Okay. I move approval as amended. Second. All in favor? Do we need a roll call? Yeah, let me do a roll call. Right. Trustee Blue. It's not here, sorry. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes, thank you. Okay, uh, let's move on to item B1, the report of the Chief Financial Officer. All right. Everyone can see that okay? Looking good. All right, thank you. All right, so starting with the volume highlights, um, just a couple things worthy to note here um, with our acute emissions down 17.4% uh, and our acute patient days up, it uh, caused a big uptick in the average length of stay to 6.6 higher than it's been year to date and last year. Also our CMI is down, which would be an indication that we would expect a lower length of stay. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. So I'll hold on and we'll get to that in the revenue slide. Also worthy to note here is it was just not a good month for mixed services with the exception of trauma cases. We had more trauma cases. Um, Going here to skilled nursing, our sense is at 250.3, it's lower than you know we have been running. Again, COVID uh, is still wreaking havoc on the staff and on the, on the guests there and causing longer lengths of stay. Uh, clinic visits are up, a big portion of that is vaccine, but not all vaccine, they, they did uh, have a good month. So here's our financial statements, our net income, is 6.6 .6 million, 2.3 almost 3 million better than budget. So another good month. EBITDA is actually positive 2.5 million. Year to date, we are positive uh, in net income 50.1 and EBITDA is also favorable 47.8 million. So we continue this very positive trend. Um, here's our revenue slide. 
our gross patient charges are just about, well, that basically 1% over budget. And that's being driven by those additional patient days. However, we don't expect that we will get paid for all those days because they are, they're more opportunity days. So I wrote two comments here. Um, in the month of February, we have more outlier cases than we have had the entire fiscal years. Outlier cases are days more than 20 for a patient. And also we had more COVID-19 cases with opportunity days. So that's an indicator that we had uh, patients with COVID that we were not able to discharge on based on the expected length of stay. So that really drove uh, our length of stay. Our collection ratio is actually very high, despite what I just told you, that um, we probably aren't going to get paid for all those days. And that's being driven by a FY21 Medicare cost report. We had a tentative settlement and recognized 8.7 million of net revenue this month. And we also continued the reprocessing for Alameda Alliance. Um, the total year to date is 3.3 million. That sounds like a lot, but actually that's a little behind where I would expect it to be. So I don't think we're done reprocessing yet. And uh, maybe I'll wait one more month and then I'll, I'll do a report and see if we're close to what we have targeted in the negotiations. Moving on to the other revenue, um, there was a big hit in supplemental programs of 10.3. And the reason for that is that I fully reserved the AB85 realignment funds. Um, that was $14.2 million. And I did that because when we entered our information into the portal for the CARES funding, that was due March 31st, I realized that we are not going to be able to keep any of the realignment money during the pandemic unless there's a legislative change in how we treat the CARES funds in regard to realignment. So without having that legislative change, we, are, we know we're going to um, pay it all back. So I decided to fully reserve it. So that's what's causing that. It was offset partially by additional funds we got for AB915 for FY21 and 3.4. Can you explain what, what the realignment adjustment is about? Did we, did we receive too much for COVID-19 and therefore we have to give some of it back? Uh, so far, we've been able to demonstrate the need for the CARES funding and not pay any back. And again, that's a moving target because you're always updating based on these you know, supplementals. If that's related to 21, I got to go put it back in the portal in 21 and that updates all the calculations. So it's definitely a moving target. But as of March 31st, we don't have to pay back any of the CARES funding. But when you, the AB85 realignment is uh, sales tax um, and vehicle registration that passes through the county in an amendment to us, they're required to give it to us, it's about $46 million. And we typically pay most of it back, but not all of it back. There's been only one year that I know of in history we were able, ever able to keep it. It's a very complicated formula. We stand in the shoes of the county. So we report to the state on behalf of all of Alameda County. And whatever portion we can't demonstrate use for, um, we have to pay back. So uh, probably the best way or the way I think about it is 
the county has to maintain a certain level of support. And this formula is not really fair in a lot of ways, and we can talk about it some other time, but the way that it, uh, it, it treats the CARES funding, it makes it so that we can't keep any of it. Okay. So uh, moving on to operating expenses here, we were over 9.2, which is a particularly bad month compared to year to date at 5.8. Most of it being in labor, which is the next slide. Purchase services and materials, it's the same story. I have nothing new to report. So in the interest of time, if no one has questions, I'll just keep moving through it. Okay. So here's the labor costs. Again, there's really nothing new here. Um, basically, we spent 2.8 million more and it's rate related because we are 110 FTE positive. The only other item worth noting is the budget assumed pre-COVID volumes and typically in the December, January, February, March timeframe, we have uh, seasonality changes and a higher census. This month, actually, you saw the patient days were over 3%, but we still were 110 FTE under, which is an indication of uh, better lending management. Over here on year to date, we've spent over budget 17.9. We're favorable for the year 49 FTE. So the more majority of that is also rate related, although our adjusted emissions are below budget. So you would expect some positive FTE. Okay, and uh, this one I'm, I'll skip since we've, there's no new information, no new information here. Onto the balance sheet, uh, we did see our days in AR pop up from 58 to 60.7. Um, a lot of that has to do with the Alliance um, reprocessing of claims. Um, we end up over-contractualized, which reduces AR, their AR, and then we have to go manually count by account and fix it, and it has uh, caused havoc with the days in AR. In fact, I can show you here that we're back down both HB and PB, so we've gotten those manual adjustments done, but at the end of the month was the high point, and that's why our days went up. Uh, going back here, also worthy to note is the line of credit, NNB at 17.1, a little higher than last month, but still way, you know, way below where we've historically been. Uh, and then patient cash collections, we're now 16.6% ahead of where we were in 21. So everything is looking good there. And here's the uh, NNB projection. Nothing's changed here. Either, uh, we still are projecting to be below our target June 30 of this year and below next year's target as well. And then the material um, transactions relating to the forecast are here. Those first four items are those looming recruitments. Um, I did get a, call, a letter from the state today that they're looking for the FY12 funds, about 21 million. So I'm going to call the state tomorrow. So that's late breaking news for all of you. Uh, but I will get on the phone uh, to the state tomorrow on that. 
And uh, in regard to these other items, I don't really have any updates except for that we're continuing to move forward with the state on the FQ settlement. So as soon as I have better information, I'll be able to make an adjustment on the FQ equipment. Everything else here has not changed with the exception that I added the 12.3 for the 8915. We got notice of the higher amount I talked about earlier, which increased our revenue, but the cash is gonna come in June. So that is the quick finance report. Any, any questions? Did I miss anything important? Um, I had a question, Kim. Uh, on page 18 of the package, and that's, uh, well, I'll just give you the question. There's a, under other government program revenue, you talked about likely, we likely owe the county $14.2 million. And I'm wondering if we can offset that with the $14 million capital money the county owes us for the Sapphire project invoice that we sent to them quite a while ago. I, I haven't gotten any update from the county on when they're gonna pay us that $14 million. They said that the invoice I said that I sent them was good, that they had got all, gotten all their questions but they needed to have an action from the Board of Supervisors. Um, one thing that, uh, that we've talked about, James uh, and I talked about, was potentially um, doing an amendment to our, our cost reimbursement, um, uh, going ahead and uh, providing the county with like 90, 5% or 90% of what we owe on the past cost reports so that we're not just sitting in limbo. And the benefit in doing that would mean that the county would be getting the funding that they're expecting. And we would also then, I think, have a better chance of, of um, getting the Board of Supervisors to feel comfortable that all of these things are happening the way they're supposed to happen and release the funds. Mm -hmm. That same talk at topic, Mark uh, Fratsky has been meeting with the county on, on our capital needs and they have a plan. So I think it's, it's time that we, you know, we get somehow move, we get rid of this log jam. And uh, my conversations with James and the county have been maybe the best way to do that is work on an amendment on that, on the, not the 14 million for, for um, Epic, but for the cost reimbursement, the depreciation of interest money that we're holding that should be transferred to the county. We're just waiting final settlement. So are we talking about, we're, just to be clear, we're saying that you're saying that we have a cost report that we filed with the county. And is that different from the Medicare and Medi-Cal cost reports that we, that we file? So I'm talking about the Medicare and Medi-Cal cost reports that we file. Okay. We, and we include the cost of the county-owned buildings that we operate in. So then we get the depreciation and interest back, and we're supposed to transfer it to the county. And there's quite a lot of money there that we have not transferred because these cost reports are not final settled. Because the term of the current agreement is that they must be final settled. And that takes years. That's right. And so I think we're in a logjam. So I think we the way to clear the logjam would be to to uh, go ahead and amend that uh, that agreement 
Uh, I, James and I talked about it and uh, we think it's a, a viable option. I know the county staff people have mentioned it to me a few times. So you're saying we would, well, you know, one of the things that we talked about is that we, we just had a, a, a we had a tentative settlement, I think of the 2021 cost report just recently, right? Which was a gain for us. So could we use, uh, and those tentative settlements come up pretty fast, I think, uh, because it, it, it's just like a, a get a desk review or something like that. Right. Right. Um, couldn't we, are you suggesting that we might work it out with the county that we could settle based on the tentative, the tentative settlement we have with Medicare or Medi-Cal and then, you know, there will be some adjustment when we get the final, but in the meantime, we could clear the log jam of all the do twos and do froms. That is what I'm proposing. Uh, thinking we would just keep a reserve on it so we don't, we would have enough to protect ourselves, you know, in, in you know, yeah. 80% of the time so that we don't have to go back and forth on, on, on chewing those up. But there's no reason for us to hold the amount of money that we have on our books. Well, that, that sounds like a great idea because when you look at the balance sheet, we have all these do twos and do froms, and I can't figure them all out. And if, if we're going, you know, sometimes these cost reports can take five or six years to settle. Um, yes, and, so and that you're, that's exactly what's happening in the county. It's going, why aren't you paying, sending this money over? <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I wanted to ask you is, um, we know that the county sweeps cash. Uh, and we've made uh, this year, you know, bottom line, uh, you know, close to what, 70 or $80 million, right? And the county is, has, I don't have the balance sheet in front of me, but the county, it seems like has swept all but about 15 million of it. Um, and obviously some of the cash from our income we haven't gotten yet, but where, where, where as we, reduce cash when the county takes the cash, what's the offsetting entry to the credit to cash? So what we have is sweeps set up in our accounts. So we have like a lockbox. And so all of our patient receipts go to lockbox. We have an armored uh, courier that picks up money and puts it also into that lockbox fund. Those are automatically swept every day to the county treasury. And then the county posts that money onto you know as a payment on the nnb mm -hmm. we uh we track it manually in a spreadsheet that we use every day because we're doing draws on it and, and so we have a manual process that we do and then once a month we do a journal entry which again would be to move the cash to make the we so, one entry to the nnb could you pull up the statement of cash flows for a second sure I don't know, I don't have the actual, maybe I have the actual presentation open here.
Here's balance sheet, and here's the statement of cash flows. Is there a particular thing you want to see here? Well, I, uh, you know, I think we have the, the top line on the statement of cash flow should be our net income, right? Net income loss. Right. In this in this case for this year it's it's a it's a gain, right? 68,154. So and I'm I'm asking you to do this because we looked at a statement of cash flow in the article that we all read. And I just wanted to to see if it's possible to, to look at that statement of cash flows and see where some of the, our cash, most of our cash has been swept by the county. We'll just go on to our um, payments on the line. It doesn't show, the, 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 we only have uh, cash that's equal to that small amount on the balance sheet. Right. And so it just, it's in uh, payments here. Change in working capital loan. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. I don't know if it's, uh, if it's possible to share that. Uh, change in a working capital loan. So this is all that's uh, changed. Okay, I can't it's see it on my screen. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I can start sharing in here. So I have to start all over again. Can you see this here now? Yes. Yes. Sorry, I didn't realize it. That I guess when I pulled up this one, it, it didn't change. So there's the the income to date, right? Now, right. And these are all of the, you know, we add back depreciation, right? Because that's not a cash expense. Mm -hmm. we, have to, we have this credit for the amortization. It's also not cash, so they kind of net. And then you've got our change in AR. And this is the reimbursement receivable. So when I said that we increased it for the AB85, that increased this amount, right? Right. Um, and then you've got your due to, due from. So you're today, um, you know, we've got... Yeah, 27 there, other receivables, our payables, all the stuff you would normally see. And then down here is the change in working capital. Uh, okay. And the net change is actually pretty small because we're paying for operations. We're, you're, you're seeing a net, the net of it, because we're, we're paying for salaries and everything else on the line of credit. So uh -huh. the sweep of cash is one side of it. And then we draw to pay all of our bills is the other side of it. So that's why this nets out like that. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions for Kim?
All right, thank you, Kim. Welcome. And that closes out agenda item B1. We're ready to go to agenda item B2, Chief Operating Officer report. And we're gonna hear a report from Mario Harding about San Leandro Hospital and Alameda Hospital. And we've got 30 minutes scheduled for this report. Thank you, Trustee Fox. And I'll introduce um, Mr. Harding, who has been with us now for about five months, Mario, I believe. Um, all the way from Denver Health, a very large safety net hospital in Colorado. Um, really pleased he's here. Um, you'll hear tonight from Mario, he'll kind of do some side-by-side -side comparisons of the hospitals on a number of metrics, um, and then get into some of the things he's working on, um, in particular at both hospitals. So Mario, um, it's a pleasure to have you here, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Great, thanks Mark and good evening trustees and HS staff. Um, so you have in your packet, I'm gonna also share my screen. Um, also, it's been almost six months, Mark, um, but close enough. So I'm going to, where is my screen here? Huh. Hold on, sorry, just one moment. Oh, here it is, sorry. Okay, so I wanted to uh, just go through and give you um, just a Really a side-by-side -side comparison. Um, this was certainly educational for me as well. Um, and um, just so I, I titled this <laughs> a tale of two hospitals, noting um, certainly it'll be comparing three, but um, one may want to think of this as the best, um, what is it, the best of times and worst of times. Um, but um, with that said, I'm going to go into the next uh, slide. So, um, so from an educational standpoint, and hopefully everyone can see this um, as well. So I'm trying to navigate some things here on my screen. So Alameda Hospital, as uh, many of you know, was established back in 1894. Um, the hospital's licensed for 66 bed, beds. Um, it has a separate license um, uh, with governance from the Alameda Healthcare District Board of Directors. San Leandro Hospital, um, and there's a lot of history on, on this hospital as well. It's established in 1960. Um, it's licensed for 69 beds. Um, uh, inter interestingly, San Leandro Hospital is under the same license as Highland and John George Hospitals. All right, so the next slide, uh, what I did for you is really to give you some comparison, as you can see. Um, Sorry, just trying to navigate these tabs here. But I try to give you just a comparison of um, the community hospitals um, against um, the flagship hospital, as I call it, Highland, which is our level one um, hospital there. Um, and sorry, I think I went past. Sorry, let me go back to the first slide. So, um, so again, just um, give you an idea of when the hospital was established, as I mentioned previously. The, the year that they joined um, AHS, um, as you know, back in 2013, um, Sutter Health uh, really turned over, if you will, it's probably more 
details um, regarding that. But but uh, in order, you know, there was certainly a, an effort to keep San Leandro Hospital open. Um, and so in 2013, that hospital became a part of Alameda Health System. Uh, in 2014, Alameda Hospital became a part of the, of the health system, again, with governance um, by the healthcare district. And then um, Highland has been under the Alameda County. So, um, so as you can see, I mean, there's, there's a, quite a bit of finance and metrics here, but I really wanted you to see the stark, sort of the difference between um, the community hospitals. I mean, each play a role in their respective community and how they support the health system. But um, you can just see the gross charges here um, and revenue for each of the hospitals. And this is again through um, uh, February 28th um, of this year. Um, and these numbers are also inclusive of um, if there is any post-acute, um, it rolls up um, in these numbers as well. Um, and so, um, so again, Highland sitting at 1.3 billion um, in gross charges. You can see both community hospitals around 300, um, close to 400 million if you look at Alameda and San Leandro. Total gross um, expenses, operating expenses um, for each. And again, where you can see the difference here in Alameda, um, 74 million compared to San Leandro. And again, part of this is just the roll up of post-acute uh, expenses as well in those numbers. Um, the FTEs um, as well. Um, for um, for each for each hospital, but you can see the majority certainly there by Highland. Um, and then next, I thought it would be interesting just to see: are there really any stark differences um, in the payer mix, right? Because clearly, as a safety net provider, um, uh, the majority of our you know patients we serve are are through Medi-Cal, so Medicaid, right? And the MC, the managed care, is the capitation. Um, so you can see that that's pretty much reflective across the board at each of the hospitals. Commercial insurance, um, relatively small um, in that regard as well. So I'm going to go to the next slide here, which again, just looking at volume, um, the average length of stay, um, as you can see, um, again, a bit higher at Alameda Hospital. And again, this is factoring in um, the um, uh, post-acute as well which is why um, that number is a bit higher. Um, and um, we talked about the license beds. Um, you can see just the breakout also of the um, med surge telemetry beds at each hospital um, ICU. And this is, you know, this is really important, particularly within the aspects of our, like about the transfer center and how we're transferring patients, um, you know, uh, within each hospital, um, as beds become available, there's a, uh, an intense effort to decompress Highland um, and to bring patients over to either Alameda or San Leandro. Quick question, um, Mr. Harding. Yes, what is, sir. What are SDU beds at Highland? Those are, uh, if I'm not mistaken, those, that's a step-down unit. Okay. Thank you. Yes, sir. And um, then you can see the average daily census um, at each facility. Again, thinking about the licensed beds versus um, what the daily census. So you look at the occupancy of the hospitals and particularly you can see how um, Highland, which, which on, I would say several times a week goes, um, I guess I'll call it unread because they um, at the reach of uh, capacity 
um, where there's just flow, right? Flow issues. You can see in, in both San Leandro and Alameda at 50%, 61%, there's clearly some opportunity um, to fill those hospitals, particularly um, when I say fill, I mean, a lot of that certainly has to, you know, staffing has to be at play. And in, at San Leandro, for example, where we have a, um, the third floor, which is half rehab, um, acute care rehab, but the other third is, uh, other half of the floor is med surge. But for the most part, that, that floor remains closed unless we, um, a, a high, high amount of overflow of patients and or we can staff, but, but that's where an opportunity presents itself there. Um, you can see the ED visits at each facility. I will tell you, wow, I mean, San, San Leandro, um, I mean, because every day I get a house report, you, um, the ED is, is extremely busy. Um, it fluctuates here and there, but for the most part, it's been um, pretty, pretty busy um, ED, um, you know, with, with um, you know, there's cer certainly there's Kaiser in the community there off of 880 and Marina Boulevard and of course Eden Medical Center. But we have, we certainly see a, a lot of busyness in, um, in the ED itself. Um, and then the case mix, case mix index, which, which is just a measure of the acuity um, at each of the facilities, which would make sense, of course, it's higher at Highland given the level one trauma status. Um, the third, this slide here, I just wanted to share with you, um, just looking at, um, you get a, a really good picture of the, the surgery, surgical cases done at each hospital. And you can, I see a highlighted in yellow which is very much reflective of what I'm seeing in the hospitals. Um, at San Leandro, um, general surgery, um, vascular and podiatry are, are, are really the um, sort of the high, high cases that are coming through. And we had, a, I mean, a very large private medical um, vascular group um, actually just across the street, one of the medical office buildings. Um, and so quite an amount of vascular being done in there. Alameda, um, as you can see, um, there's you know general surgery, but they also do eyes, ophthalmology, orthopedics, and pain. Um, I will tell you, pain is moving over to San Leandro. Um, should be later, late this month, early May. Um, and there's also uh, some efforts to do GYN surgery as well um, over at San Leandro. Um, and um, you can see predominantly for Highland, it's uh, the breakout is general surgery as well as ortho. Um, among the smattering of other um, cases as well. Excuse me, question. Yes, sir. Um, it's just interesting that uh, uh, San Leandro is so dominated by general surgery and by vascular surgery. Are those, those two types of surgery, are, are, is there a dominating surgeon in either one of those that is really keeping the ship afloat or is it spread out among several? Well, it's the, there's the, it's the vascular group. Um, and, um, I think it's doctor there's, there's a pre, I can't think of the, sorry, I can't remember the, the number of surgeons, but, but there are at least, and I'm hope I'm not in, underestimating, but maybe close to 10 plus surgeons. Okay. I mean, it's a big, a big group. They've been here for years. Um, I have uh, surgical data that goes back to 2007 actually. And, that group has had a um, has had a major presence in the hospital, even as other community surgeons have has left. As you can imagine, it's been an outflow 
of, of surgeons to Eden Medical Center. Um, changes over the years um, in some of the relationships between community surgeons and AHS. Um, that's well, just, I'm just trying that's to establish that we're not in a situation if one big rainmaker left, that we, we'd really have a big downturn. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when you look at that number, um, one would say you definitely, we, we definitely want to um, make sure we continue to keep vascular. I think that's, I would say me looking at this from a, um, from, you know, as a new CAO, I definitely would like to, to increase the portfolio of other surgical volume in the hospital, right? And, and part of that too, is just keeping cases in the community um, as well. So um, as you can imagine, if you can have, um, a, you know, your surgical procedure done in your community hospital and get to stay in that area, that's a huge, um, from a patient experience standpoint. So and I would think we would have an opportunity in orthopedics because we're, we're, we're doing only 3% of our surgeries are orthopedics. Yeah. It seems like it's maybe 25 a year or so that must just be one individual probably. Yeah. I have to look back at the details. Um, but you know, I, I orthopedics, I, I've seen this number, um, a little bit higher in past years. So, um, I, and I think, you know, there's this huge, um, OR, I think it's an OR sort of period governance group, um, that's looking at surgery, um, capacity, uh, you know, block time across the health system. And uh, I think part of what, you know, we're trying to do is sort of right size at the same time um, and look at, you know, what availability do we have? Because again, to do more cases, even at St. Leandro uh, requires certainly opening up another room, but having staff as well. But we um, certainly have to be losing a lot of orthopedic cases to other hospitals. Uh, yeah, if they're not, certainly not going over to Highland, certainly, yeah. I mean, well, San Leandro is like or, the safest city in the country because nobody's falling, nobody's getting in car crashes or you yeah. know, anything like that. And I can't believe that's the case. So there must be quite an opportunity there. If we yeah. Let's see, Fox, this, this, this is Mark. We have a, a fairly significant opportunity with orthopedic surgery um, within our own system. Um, we're, we're in, in orthopedic surgery, much of the time is the outcomes are better when it's consolidated in an area and there's a real high critical mass of surgeries that the surgeons are doing. Right. And we're planning that at um, Alameda. And, and so we expect that mid-April for them to start, if, if all goes well and our sterile processing units are fixed, which we may have to delay it a little. But the plan is to start ramping up more ortho surgery there because we've got a tremendous amount of backlog within our current um, orthopedic surgery groups. Okay. Dr. Tornabini, I see your hands up. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I was having trouble coming off mute. Just to add um, that um, our uh, our surgical leadership, our surgeons have been working on a new block time schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, for example, some of the cases that they're looking at moving over to San Leandro include ENT, plastics, OMFS, um, as well as um, some, uh, it's considered under general surgery, but we have a breast um, surgical specialist. Mm -hmm. And so those are examples of potential other cases that we'll see at San Leandro under the new block schedule. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I've definitely been in the loop on those um, 
cases coming over, which is great to see. Um, and I think this is my last comparison slide, really. So you can see the post-acute side, right? Rehab and SNF um, in both San Leandro and Alameda hospitals. Um, just to give you a census when you think about, um, and there's Park Bridge, um, South, Source, South Shore and Rehab Acute. Um, and, um, you know, at San Leandro, the, the acute rehab is on the fourth floor. And then half of the third floor, as I mentioned, it's a beautiful, um, um, beautiful facility. Um, and, um, and again, um, you can see Park Bridge and, and South Shore in terms of the license beds. I see Trustee Splendorio, you have your hands up. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, yes. The, the prior uh, interaction kind of begs the question of, of I mean, why we're having this presentation, but more, more particularly, um, the switching that's, you know, not switching or starting a service in one hospital versus another. I, I, to me, the begs, again, it begs the question of why we're having it. I mean, to me, this, there should be an efficiency. Uh, you know, I mean, I can't tell if this is, if what you're telling us is working or not working, or if it's, if it's productive or not productive, it, you know, you just, throwing us numbers. I'm, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to understand sure. what is this all supposed to mean for us, right? I mean, right? And um, uh, because, I mean, to me, if, you know, the, the, we should be providing services that the community needs in the most efficient manner by the folks that can do it most, you know, the best. So I, I don't, I mean, it's a really big question, but that's what I'm hoping, Mara, you can yeah. get a light for me. So I guess part of my intent of, of sort of, of doing this presentation is really, again, I know the board has some relatively new man, uh, members, trustees, if you will, but really for you to, to, uh, to understand um, sort of the, you know, the differences in the three hospitals themselves, right? I mean, clearly, um, yeah, you know, and it, so the intent certainly is to be educational, um, as it relates to the community hospitals in Highland. Um, but I think I would also say, you know, you know, as the strategic plan, as we all aware, sort of unfolds, it comes to sort of that finish. I mean, for me, I'm, you know, my expectation out of that as well is um, for the, the, the final plan to really give us a lay of the land for these hospitals and services. I mean, that's really, um, you, you know, again, I, and I've, set this comparison and this maybe it's kind of extreme, but, but, you know, um, an example is, we, I mean, we don't do organ transplant, but, you know, you can't do organ transplant at every hospital. You can't do, um, you know, uh, uh, open heart, um, you, you know, things. So, so for us, so I think what I'm really hoping the expectation again, coming out of the Huron strategic plan is it lays before us a plan to say, um, in some regard, how, how are we going to serve I mean, in what way serving the community with the hospitals that we have, right? Particularly in St. Leandro and Alameda. Um, um, and there's, there's certainly more work that will come from that. Um, but, but to me, again, the intent of, of my presentation is really just to give you a little more of a flavor, for, you know, if you will, profile for each of the hospitals, um, how they're you know, performing um, really, and, how, um, and hopefully how they support um, the health system really from a community versus, you know, the, the trauma level trauma um, one system. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but clearly there's more 
more. Yeah, this is really okay. this is really intense yeah, background for the board. Uh, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, um, I certainly haven't been in these hospitals in many years. And just to get the board familiar with what these individual institutions are like, how big they are, what they look like, what their services are compared to the mother hospital, which is Highland, just to give us an idea of what we're dealing with here in this system. Well, okay. I, I, although, let me tell you that comparing it to Highland may not be you know, if, uh, educational. I mean, I, you know, it, it may be more education to understand, well, how does it compare? You mentioned, I think in, you know, Kaiser or, 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 sure. you know, I mean, that might be in terms of serving the community that it's in, that might be more instructive. I, I'm not asking you to do it now. I'm just saying it, it, as to what Alan said, um, comparing it to, I'm not saying you are compared to Alan, but, it, you know, but that they're on the, the columns here that may not be the most instructive is to understand what other services are being provided in the community and how do we compare against those competitors in essence? Well, I think sure. that, that's a good idea too. I think it just compare the comparison of Highland just gives, gives you an idea of scope and size of these two community hospitals versus a hospital as, as broad as Highland is. Right. And maybe and, Alan, and, and that was a good question <laughs> right. that Alan asked about, you know, like you look in here, you go back to the surgeries, different kinds. I mean, you know, is that reflective of that happens to be a surgeon or two or a group there that sends cut, uh, uh, patients from the East Bay? Or is it because the community there needs that type of surgery? You know what I'm saying? I mean, sure. that's, a, that's a great question, but, but we don't know the answer to that. And, but that would be, to me, instructive. Yeah, and I and I, I you know again as I, I mentioned one of the projects that I I'm I'm working on and again this is historical to look back um, at San Leandro particularly in San Leandro um, and look at what's happened in the community right in terms of surgeons that have left I mean you can clearly see from not from this but uh, but from other data that I have um, sort of over the years how um, the volume of surgeries has sort of moved out of the hospital. Um, from some of the other disciplines. And part of that is just, you know, again, um, um, sort of relationship that I think need to be sort of re-strengthened, if you will, between AHS and the community surgeons, right? And then again, things that may have been fractured in the past, that, that needs to be rekindled, if you will. And that's certainly part of the discussion I've had with Mark Brasky along that way. So again, these are, you know, when I think about San Leandro and Alameda, these are hospitals, um, you know, um, again, certainly there's opportunities for infrastructure needs on both um, that that I think at some point the boards will will need to to certainly revisit as well. Um, um, but trying to just from my standpoint, bring some life, <laughs> more life back into um, the hospital, not saying that it's not there, but I think there's opportunity in, in, in these hospitals to serve the community far more than we're, we're doing right now. I just wanted to say that I am finding this useful and I appreciate the comparison and it's, uh, you know, some of this information I had a vague understanding of and now I can't, I have no excuse for not having a much deeper understanding. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, that was definitely one of my, my intent. So um, the next slide here, uh, and again, keep in mind, I'm six, month, six months into this role. I'm still observing. I'm trying to 
frame up, you know, again, as I look at both hospitals. Um, so, so this slide really looks at what efforts are underway and what some of the things may that have completed. So for Alameda, and again, I would, I would just say, if you haven't been to any of these hospitals, um, Alameda San Leandro, um, please reach out to me, happy to give you a tour. Um, Trustee Blue, I know has done that um, in the past. Um, we had a chance to connect and she could see, but you know, Alameda Hospital opened a beautiful cafeteria last October. Um, um, so again, very proud of that. Um, um, we are outsourcing and Mark sort of alluded to this as well. Our sterile processing has been outsourced um, to Highland. Um, that was started last month. Um, we did a complete imaging assessment um, actually of both San Leandro um, and Alameda Hospital. And again, when I mentioned infrastructure, this is a great example of, of things that need to be done. I mean, again, you know, Mark mentioned, I came a very large um, safety net health system. Um, and um, sort of when I put eyes on what I'm seeing at the community hospitals here, it's sort of like, wow, we need to update. We need to uh, bring more advancement to patient care and the imaging side of things. And so Troy Ashford, Director of Radiology did a complete assessment of both the imaging departments. And so there's, um, there's some things underway to get us, um, um, you know, the latest imaging equipment for our patients. Um, at Alameda, our, uh, our joint commission, which will hopefully will be, I say hopefully, but we'll be here one day, um, any day now, um, we're overdue for our triennial survey. Um, Yesterday, we um, successfully passed with fine colors our stroke certification. Um, so that was a, a virtual visit um, by Joint Commission. And again, the biggest thing for Alameda is the whole seismic compliance. Um, and this is something that the Healthcare District Board um, is, um, is working on as well. Um, San Leandro, as I mentioned, um, and we just, again, when I get into um, one of the things that we're looking at is, is not looking at, sorry, but we've hired a periop nurse manager, um, Sandra uh, Sanusi started in January. Again, this is extremely important when we talk about um, surgical cases um, and being able to keep an eye on, on, um, uh, on volume. And I mentioned GYN surgery coming over, pain services um, moving from Alameda. And again, I cannot uh, underscore this enough, the need to build trust with the community surgeons that have been fractured. It's there, I hear about it. Um, um, and so uh, I'm trying to, in, 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 in regard to figure out, you know, make sure to cultivate those relationships, right? To rebuild those. And um, we are also in the process of, of trying to backfill a ED nurse manager for San Leandro respiratory therapy manager. Oops, sorry. The other thing I'll mention is a really huge project across the health system is just so you know, and Ro Lofton, our CNO, is my co-chair. Um, we ch chaired a workplace violence task force, um, and it's now formed into a steering committee, but this was a huge look across the health system. Um, we've seen a significant, pretty significant increase in um, um, agitated violence events of patients to staff. And as you can imagine, with the pandemic has just sort of layered this on, it's been um, quite concerning for staff. Um, um, so that's one of the things. And then I'm trying to also look at, um, you know, these are sort of the small things, but they make a huge difference. I wanna add breakfast back into the hospitals. Um, with the pandemic sort of took away um, 
you know, things. Um, and so trying to add like a coffee cart so staff can have some options when they're there on site. Um, I think this is my last slide, which talks about the future vision. So what, you know, there are, there's much to do at both of these hospitals um, that I oversee. Um, we are um, been working with Mark Brown and his um, SPD team, serial processing. There's some significant work that needs to, to uh, I mean, significant in terms of multi or million dollar projects uh, of replacing um, equipment that's, that's, um, that's worn out um, and needs to be replaced and from patient safety care reasons. Um, again, I mentioned about the deliverables from the strategic plan, which I think we're all want to get to that touch, you know, the, the um, touchdown, if you will, and, and seeing exactly what those deliverables are. So we have something, um, again, how are we going to act upon those and implement and execute? That's going to be a huge impact to the uh, hospitals. Right now at Alameda um, and at San Leandro, um, you know, our, the gift shops have really sort of been, not been vacant, if you will, the um, auxiliary sort of um, shut down. So we've got vacant space. Um, and I know this particularly at San Leandro, uh, how do we repurpose space in the hospitals to maybe, um, again, clinics or services that, that, that need that space? Um, and one of the things I've talked about is, you know, how can I, I mean, I'd love to do this because we did this at my prior hospitals, how to engage student volunteers from the high schools and to bring, bring some, some uh, students into the hospitals, right, to allow them to volunteer. Um, and, and I think, let me see what else, under San Leandro, again, we talked about surgical volume, um, again, maximizing third floor med search space. Again, when I think about the ask, I mean, you've seen the picture of San Leandro. If you haven't been in person, I mean, the building needs a, it could use a facelift. It could use some, um, there, there's some things that can be done, um, you know, in terms of carpeting and that would, that would be ideal. Um, and, and those are, those are things that, I mean, at some point, I certainly want to put an ask in. The ED itself needs to be renovated. Um, to my knowledge, from what I've seen on blueprints, the ED has not been, has gone through a total renovation. Um, and, you know, the, I will tell you the, the number of visits we're seeing today in the ED, it's not what the ED was built for when it was, you know, um, so it's outpaced um, the current environment. Um, so we need to revisit that in the future. So I think that's the last slide I have. So, um, Again, I just wanted to keep it brief. The intent, as I said, was really to give you some comparison and educate um, me about the hospitals itself um, that I oversee. Um, and I will certainly open it up for any additional questions. Um, and again, invite any trustees who want to visit, take a tour, please to reach out to me. So that's it. I'll thank you so much for, your, for your, allowing me to present. Thank you very much for your report, Mario. And um... I think we'll all be waiting to see the results of the strategic plan and, and also next year's capital budget to see what's on the agenda for uh, upgrades and improvements at the two hospitals. And I think we're also interested in how we integrate uh, the one larger hospital we have that's pretty, pretty busy with the two uh, smaller community hospitals that have, uh, uh, that have capacity to take some of that overflow and how we integrate to become more efficient and more specialized 
among the three hospitals. Uh, Trustee Splendorio's comment, I think, was right on about that. Since we are uh, a system, we should be looking toward maximizing our facilities and our, our medical staff. So, thank you very much. We'll Absolutely. Thank you. More later. And we're going to move on now to item C1, uh, which is the, uh, this, uh, these are the section of the agenda is for information and discussion. And this is uh, the article that was in the agenda package on principal principles of accounting and finance, critical accounting and financial concepts for healthcare leaders. Um, and I'll open it up to any, uh, any uh, comments or reactions from the trustees and and the other people and everybody else that's uh, on the Zoom call. Was this a useful article? Yes, I thought it was a useful article. The thing I liked about it, it was well-organized and succinct. Uh, and again, it, it uh, reiterated some stuff I already knew, but it did it in a very comprehensive way. And you know, I'm going to keep this uh, article for a while as reference when I'm looking at financial reports and stuff. If there's something I think I should know that, but do I know it? And then I can refer to this and say, oh, okay, I was right or I was wrong. So thank you for sharing it. Okay. Other comments, questions? All right, I'll, I'll just... Just had a few reactions that I'll add to, uh, to Mark's comments. Um, I think that this, cover, this article is pretty heavy on accounting, financial statements, um, break-even analysis and so forth, which I thought was really good. Um, I think our responsibility as a finance committee uh, is, includes those things uh, because it includes understanding the trends in our financial performance, uh, looking at the income statement and just having a, a broad understanding of are we doing better or doing worse than budget? And are we doing better or doing worse than the prior year? And then also on our current financial position and how that compares with prior periods. Last month or last year, are we doing better or worse on receivables, uh, on payables and on our position with the county? And then where our cash is coming from and how it's being used is, is on the statement of cash flows. Um, I, I think we also are, as the article points out, we wanna make sure we're achieving value in where we invest our money. Um, and other things I think that we need to do a, for, as a finance committee that aren't necessarily spelled out in the article is assessing the adequacy of our financial resources to accomplish our mission and strategic plan, uh, and also protecting the assets of the organization and making sure that we have adequate internal controls, financial oversight, uh, IT security, adequate insurance coverage, and that we're collecting our receivables and turning our inventories, which is part of the assets that the organization has, maintaining and securing our facilities and equipment and also our intangible assets like our medical staff and employees. These are all assets that we want, we need to protect and finance protects in any uh, organization. Uh, so for the members of the committee, if you feel that you're not understanding the three financial statements that are covered in the article 
and how they differ from each other, please get in touch with me uh, or with Kim and we can try to uh, spell it out for you in a way that might be a little bit easier to digest. Uh, that's all I have. Any further comments? Okay, we're, we're ready to move on to item C2, uh, fiscal, fiscal year 2023 operating capital budget updates. And that's going to be presented by Kim Miranda and by James Jackson. I, I just wanted to, to thank you, Trustee Fox, for that article. I thought it was a great article and, and uh, a good reminder for us. I particularly like the break-even analysis in it. So, Let me just say the article actually was, was found by our chair, Dr. Bouquet. So kudos to him for uh, unearthing this article. Okay, so we're going to talk, give you a, uh, basically an update on the operating and, and capital budget. Um, this is really a status report, how we're doing. Um, just, I don't know if every, all of the trustees recognize in years past, you know, we typically started this budget process with, you know, huge gaps that we had to close. And it was a, you know, it was really a difficult um, process. Um, I'm happy to report we're not in that situation this time. Right now, things are looking good. So I just wanna start off with that comment. There's a lot of numbers in here and a lot of the numbers really relate to the way that we're controlling the budget. Uh, and I'll talk about that more in just a minute. But uh, to start off, uh, we typically have a set of budget goals and guiding principles and this uh, comes from the trustees and it helps us as leaders in the organization manage the budget process. Um, we've talked about this before a couple months ago. However, I never asked for an approval and I never asked the trustees for a budget target. So um, I wanna make sure in the minutes we're in agreement with what our goals and guiding principles are and our target. So um, these first items are, uh, these three items on this slide are very similar to what they've been for the last two years. You know, we are using this run rate budgeting concept, which basically means if we did it last year and it cost this much, it should not cost more unless there's a, you know, a CPI or something. So. We take the run rate and then we, we don't make big changes to it. We don't add big programs. We really just try to focus on the short-term budgeting need. If there, is, uh, if there are plans to grow a program or to make major changes, they would typically be in the long-range financial plan. And we would plan for them in advance, not starting in a month or six months from now, but more like a year or two years from now, um, but we do lay in anything that we know about that's kind of here already in flight, right? And then we always are trying to get more efficient and to uh, improve the operations. Uh, so I, I left these three here because we've talked about them before and I think they're, they're, they're pretty standard. 
Uh, if the committee's okay, I'll go ahead and talk about sustainability. Does, uh, if, does, if anybody has any questions, I should probably stop now and answer on, you know, on these initial guiding principles. Anybody have any heartburn? Just a comment on a budget target. I, I think it would be very difficult for the, the board and the committee to give management a budget target based on what the 2022 financials look like. And the fact that, that there have been so many ex unusual and po probably non-repeating um, benefits that we've received this year. And I think that uh, and if anybody else has any thoughts on this, please speak up. But I think we're gonna have to leave it to administration to sort out which of those are continuing and should be factors in the 2023 budget and which of those are, are one-time kind of pro forma items that are not gonna be recurring. And we will give that update tonight. That's what this presentation will do for us. So that's the, the plan for tonight is to, to show you where we are. We've taken out the one-time items to develop this run rate. Uh, and we're gonna then lay over the performance improvement and any strategic planning types of items that uh, need to be laid on top of the run rate. So um, this next slide, maybe we need to move to the end of the deck rather than the second slide in the deck. Um, but our, uh, the budget oversight um, thoughts are that we would generate a close to break-even net income budget, which is what we did last year. And maybe we can uh, come back to this after the presentation. Is that fair? Okay. So where we are, we're in April and uh, June 1st is when the Finance Committee will be asked to recommend approval of the budget. So we are in the, you know, the last uh, months of this. The budget, the baseline budget or preliminary budget is out to all of our managers now to review. They have one more week to finish their review. And then budget oversight will then need to close any gaps to a budget target. We're also working on the capital budget. Uh, folks have already submitted all their requests. We're looking at the requests from last year and um, building placeholders of what we plan to do next year. Uh, and then we will bring those placeholders forward on June 1st as well for uh, finance committee approval, along with cash flow, because we have to be able to pay for it. So with that, our uh, volumes in the preliminary budget are here. Um, it's important to focus on the variance in the far right because this is based on our run rate. So we do have increases built into the preliminary budget. Um, if you look at this slide here, it looks more negative and that's because it was based on our volumes for budget 22. And as you all know from the finance presentation, we've been running behind budget and the reason for that is we decided to budget as if the pandemic would be resolved. So um, the budget 22 basically has pre-COVID volumes. So we're proposing that we um, increase our volumes over this year, 
but not necessarily back to pre-COVID levels. So that's what that is telling you. And that's what's in the preliminary budget and all of the leaders in the organization have approved these volumes. I have a question on one of them, Tim. Sure. And that is uh, the biggest increase in the right-hand column is in uh, surgeries, 5.3%. And uh, we heard Mario, and I know he's only talking about the two smaller hospitals, talking about the need to rebuild trust with our surgeons. So I'm just wondering, are we plan have we recruited some new surgeons that are going to bring additional cases? Or what do we think is going to cause a, a fairly steep increase in surgeries next year? We, we did build in some ortho growth. That's true. But most of this is coming from Highland. So um, you saw in the current month, uh, month of February report, our surgeries were way down. Uh, and they were down last month, but going up through December, we had this big pickup and it was, you know, we were seeing the surgeries recover. So are we being too aggressive? That's a good question now, um, but uh, we can definitely give more detail um, as, you know, as this part, as the budget progresses. Um, Kim, a couple comments maybe on this. Um, we actually had to stop surgeries at times, Alan, this year during COVID. Um, and that bottomed out somewhat in some months, our surgery volume. Um, and number two, in early May, we're going to be instituting block schedules across all of our ORs. And we really believe, and, and, and doing some other things that we think we can take people who were canceling surgeries and get them in, along with um, pushing our backlogs we have through. So I think we'll be able to do this. Um, we just, because we've got some things that we're going to be working on. Uh, we, we have, we probably have pretty new ORs, right? Because the, the building is only, what, five or six years old, right? The ORs are in the um, Clorette building, the older building. Okay. And that's not that old, but, you know, it, it isn't the new ACT building. Well, are, do we reach out to some of the other Haas, other uh, surgical groups in the community. And uh, so are we able to offer uh, earlier surgery dates and times sometimes than, than the Sutters and the uh, you know, Valley Cares of the world where maybe we can import some surgeries by having open, open times quicker? Yeah, no, we haven't explored that idea, but um, it is, thank you for bringing the suggestion up. Maybe it's something we should consider and, and discuss more. But I think to do that, you'll have to have appealing ORs for, for, yes. for surgeons to bring their cases. But if we, if we can do that, you know, we might be able to pick up some cases. Yes. All right. Um, so this next slide talks about the, this concept of run rate budgeting, okay? And in some ways, this is kind of complicated because we establish a run rate based on our base period, which is calendar year 2021. And then we have to scrub it so that we take out one-time events like Trustee Fox talked about to get to where we think we should be for the next 12-month period. And then we have to update it for any assumptions um, for the next 12 months. 
And in some ways we have to do this twice because we're gonna come back to you on June 1st and we are gonna provide a comparison between our final uh, or what we think will be the final FY23 budget versus the projected 22. So we will roll it forward. So it's kind of an odd way of looking at it and it's different, but it is important to scrub it. And this year it's probably particularly more complicated because of COVID and all of that one time funding. So what you're looking at here is our run rate. That is basically our calendar year financial statements, right? We're a fiscal year entity. So this is taking six months from one fiscal year, six months from another fiscal year. The first items here are all the COVID related adjustments. So we went in and we estimated how much um, additional COVID funding we got from the federal match. There was an additional 6.2%. There was additional percentage we got on Medi-Cal SNF claims. Medicare increased uh, their DRGs for specific codes. We got CARES funding, we got ARPA funding, which was through the Medi-Cal waiver. And we also got some uh, Medi-Cal managed care supplemental uh, and Medi-Cal GME. So those we, we believe will all go away uh, because right now the public emergency uh, we're thinking will be over maybe in this summer here in the next month or two. I don't I have a final date on that. So got to scrub all of that out of the calendar year. And then there's the more normal things that you would expect that, you know, in a normal year, we would be scrubbing out. And uh, in our case, we had a big audit adjustment. We were able to bring in money um, from the previous year when we when we were able to prove to the auditors we actually could collect a higher percentage. So the you might remember this because I showed a graph to all of you um, a few months back about how last year we had a negative hit and this year we have a positive hit. And if you average the years out, you actually see kind of a slow, steady stabilization of EPIC and improved revenue cycle performance. But in this area, I need to scrub it because that was a, a pickup for um, uh, as of June 30 that won't be happening again, although we still see improvement this year in the last six months for our revenue cycle. So that's what the 10.7 is. So they kind of offset, I could have netted them, but I felt like because that audit adjustment was something real and big that we should uh, call it out separate. And then uh, the behavioral health contract, we've been very behind in billing. It, it's, uh, it's been problematic for, you know, ever since I've been here and before me. Um, we are now, you know, catching up. We're just a few months behind. Um, so what we did is we took out the, the final payment we got in 21 in December. Um, but the reality of this is we're gonna have a new contract with the county probably in the next, well, it'll give, I will, we will have a recommendation to the Board of Supervisors on a new contract amount probably within two to three weeks. So then for the final um, budget, we'll have the real number of that max contract. Um, but for now, we just took out that extra payment. 
Supplemental funds, this is a big number, this 48.8 million. And what's going on there is uh, the timing of when we made the decision that we were not gonna be able to keep all of the amendment to the county contract. So we talked a little bit about that in today's finance report. The amount that in this calendar year we actually reserved was 114 million, right? So we're gonna add back 48.8 so that in the current year, we basically, because we know we're not gonna be able to keep any of the um, realignment is zero. I think next year we'll have a pickup though because we will not be in COVID and we will be able to uh, keep maybe about 5 million of the 47 million. Then there's uh, all of the retroactive settlements with SEIU and CNA and we paid a whole lot of uh, uh, severances in the calendar year. So those get added back because those were one-time payments. And then the last item, last large item here is the Gatsby True Up. That's the amortization expense for future retirement funding. Um, the, the, we've talked about this too in the finance presentation, but right now it's a credit because the retirement uh, returns on plan assets were so high we were overfunded and the decision of ACERA, not necessarily AHS, was that we were not going to continue our regular amortization and fund. We would just um, reduce the, um, the future liability. So what other um, organizations have done is they've said, hey, if we've got such great returns, we're just gonna go ahead and keep sending what we would have sent you despite of the returns to get more to, to increase our vesting percentage, but that's not something that the pool of us in ACERA decided to do. Uh, CalPERS, however, made a different decision. So it's a, it, it, but we have to, because we're all uh, grouped in ACERA in one fund, one of us can't decide to do something different. Probably more than you wanted to know on that. So then this gets us to a scrub number. So we went from 76.9 down to 38.3, and our EBITDA went from 87.9 to 49.3. And then our next slide are the this year budget changes. So these are the things that budget oversight is directing us to do. So we put in those volumes that I showed you, the increases over the run rate. So that resulted in an additional 10 million positive. We've got the FQHCs at Highland. Um, we're converting many from fee-for-service to FQ. Right now, what we've done is we've put in an estimate of what we think that will be. Uh, it's based on an additional $148 per visit. As soon as I get a final number from the state, we'll update this. I think, um, I think maybe it will be a higher number when we're done. Behavioral health, I've talked about that. We're gonna have a new contract and I'm sure that it will be based on cost and, and we've improved tremendously in getting our, um, our claims um, paid through the county. 
Uh, we had a lot of denials in the past, a lot of unmatched um, accounts that we that were denied, and I we think we've reduced our denial rate over 20%, and I'll know that number here soon in a couple weeks. Uh, our supplemental revenues really haven't changed much year to year, so or calendar year to this, and they won't budget to budget. So you'll see that in the final presentation. I'll have a list of all the supplemental funds. 340B, this is the result of the legislation that came in place on January 1. The state is now going to benefit from the difference between the lower 340B cost of drugs and um, how much a payer pays. So we will now be paid our acquisition costs plus a handling fee of about 10 bucks. So that will be a hit to us. Um, the labor standards, uh, this relates mostly to volume. We have adjusted a few labor standards uh, that will end up being a hit of 8.4. We have built in a overtime reduction of 3.8 million. It's 4% in the clinical and nursing areas. This is part of performance improvement. Uh, we've got labor and benefit CPIs, and I have a slide on the CPIs next, so I'll skip through those. And then um, we did approve a uh, contract with East Bay Medical Group that's retro to January 1. It increased the limit 84.7 million, so that will be a hit of 10.8 for the organization. We have other physician contracts. Right now, these are built in at what the contract max is. We're gonna go ahead and uh, adjust those to run rate uh, and that'll come down a little bit. Depreciation until we have capital, we have not completed. And then that brings us to the budget that we sent out for our managers to review. So that budget had a break even basically net income and EBITDA of 11.8. At this point, we've got uh, manager edits going on. They're about 12 million. And this varies every day. So I don't, this is really still very much moving. They have one more week to finish. When I pulled it today, it's at 5.7. So whether it's gonna end up at 5.7 or eight or 10, I don't know. But we've got, we're still working through that. And then uh, there's more adjustments that need to happen. We've just approved unrepresented increases, so we haven't had time to build those in. There's some minor adjustments here. Um, and we're still working with the foundation. I've, I've basically zeroed out, so it's not a hit to the organization, but James Jackson and Preston Walton are working together on determining what the capital and operating amounts will be that AHS can budget for. So that will be coming soon. And then we do need to figure out what the increase will be for next January for East Bay Medical Group. Um, and I'll walk through these other items here in different slides. But if you look at where we are today, we have a 0.8, so it's slightly positive net income and about a 20.7 EBITDA. So this is kind of why the Budget Oversight Committee was recommending that we set our target at break-even. Here's 
Here's the CPI. We built in 3% overall for labor, except for East Bay Medical Group. You can see all these varying items, um, but overall 3.3% for all of our other expenses. Then I go into performance improvements. So these are the internal ones that we're working on. I mentioned already the overtime reduction that is in the budget, 3.8 million. So we're setting this up for next year to monitor. Prepare um, contracting, nothing's been built in yet. We don't, uh, we don't wanna double count anything with any other uh, initiatives. And also too, we are so close to closing Anthem. So we just closed Blue Shield this week. Um, hopefully Anthem will be here and within time to build into the budget. Uh, I talked about the FQHC. I said this is probably conservative. I think we'll probably be able to pick this one up before you know, we, we do our final budget. IOP, I, uh, I, we are green. We know there's a pickup here. There's a one-time for the retro billing. And then there's also the ongoing pickup of billing correctly. So we're documenting better and we're able to bill and collect, but I need time to figure out how much to build in. So we're, we were gonna wait one more month before we pull the paid claims data to see what we could add in here. Workers' comp improvement is something that uh, uh, Lorna Jones is working on. So hopefully we'll have some final feedback from her. Um, the tele-sitting, uh, that was what you actually saw in the last slide. We had 1.2 million identified to build in. We will build that in. And then this last one here is an overall target that we had decided to leave in performance improvement so that we're always working to try to be industry best. So um, we need a benchmark there that would be, you know, FTE for AOB or FTE for adjusting patient day to other safety net systems. And this is on here to remind us to get that done. This next item is the best initiatives. This, these are the items that we're partnering with Huron to accomplish. Um, right now we've got 25.2 million built in. It's definitely not the top and it's not the bottom. So uh, we're now, uh, had a few months under our belt. We're looking at the improvements that have been made. And of course it has to be net of the contingency fee. So um, this will be uh, completely vetted out and, and we will actually layer this on when the budget is done. That way we know we won't be double counting anything. And the last slide is a holding slide for this long range strategic plan. We were given a couple initiatives um, by uh, the team. We, uh, we know that we want to integrate behavioral health. It's sort of in process already. And also um, the bridge clinic, uh, they want to expand. We actually want them to be an FQ, but that will take some time to do, like more than a year, maybe even two years to get that done. Um, but these were things that folks were already working on. So we built in a negative impact for them. And our current focus is we're waiting for the leadership to review their budgets and make sure there's no errors. It's really, it's not building a budget. It's basically reviewing for accuracy to make sure we didn't miss anything. 
And the Budget Oversight Committee is prioritizing capital so we can figure out what kind of cash flow we need. Right now at break even, we figure we'll have about 30 million to spend. So that's kind of the, the target that we've set. And then of course, uh, we need to finalize the performance improvement initiatives to layer on top. And then we're gonna be um, comparing the complete deck for all of you to do your due diligence and review our, our budget. So having said that, I'm gonna go back to this slide um, and uh, ask the committee how they might want to guide our budget oversight committee in terms of a target. Got a question, Kim, about the capital budget. Um, even though we may have a break even bottom line or uh, uh, maybe a $20 million EBITDA if we do in next year's budget, our cash flow this year has been really substantial. Um, and it seems like we're behind budget in spending this year's capital budget. And since it's already April, it looks like we're gonna underspend this year's capital budget. So it would seem like um, because we generated so much cash this year and didn't spend what we budgeted to spend that we should be able to finance a capital budget that's bigger, much bigger than what we spent this year and maybe much bigger than what we generate next year. I know that we don't have the cash under our control, but um, you know, wouldn't that make sense that we can, which- well, what, what we did is we paid off the NNB. Okay. But it, paid I'm, just, the I'm just thinking of, to an extent, shouldn't we be capital budgeting to our um, serious needs more so than to what our, what we generate next year? That's a, a fair question. Um, so as the budget oversight committee goes through the capital requests and as we finalize the long range financial plan, there may be investments we wanna make on large projects that we will need to figure out how to fund. Um, Typically, if I look back a decade, 30 million is the average we spend every year. That doesn't mean that that's what we should spend next year. I think that you know we're looking through all the requests and we've kind of set that as our target. Um, but we don't have additional cash without drawing on the line of credit. So that's the it's kind of the trade-off. So Yeah, well, I think at some point we're going to need to come to terms with the county on the NNB and our concerns over exceeding it because of a lack of uh, designating funds on, the, on behalf of previous administrations and what we really need to accomplish our mission. Um, and, you know, it seems like with this year's performance, we should be, and, and next year's budget performance, we should be able to spend uh, what we need. And when you hear some of the needs like that, that Mario Harding talked about, just basic facelifts and things like that, um, it would seem like we should be able to go for that based on the kind of year we're having now. Uh, 
Trusty Splendorio. Are you on mute? No, 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 now you can hear me. Sorry about that. Well, I echo Alan's comments wholeheartedly and go one step further, even if we didn't have a good year. We need to invest. It, it, I mean, my perception is that we've under invested over the last few several years. At some point, um, maybe now it's it's going to it's going to hurt us. And we so we need to so my I would hope that the oversight committee takes a strong look at, at uh, what we need to spend on not just short-term, but also long-term and have a long-term capital budget. So our, right now, under the current structure, we have our line of credit with the county that we report on each, each month. And it is pretty much an all-time low now because we've paid it off because of the, the performance this year, the cash flow. We also, um have the capital cost fund so if we are if we come to terms with the county to transfer those funds for the county owned buildings back to the county um, before final settlement because right now it has to be final settled before we send it over then we are supposed to be able to access it back now that would help with maintenance and uh, other sorts of investments at the county owned um, facilities um, but that would be another way to free up more capital besides using our line of credit. Well, I think in terms of, I could offer some guidance on the capital budget and that is maybe presented in two sections. One is the items that you're recommending we approve because of our, our confidence in being able to fund them in the next fiscal year. And I think the second part is the items that we feel we definitely need in 2023, but are not in the capital budget because we don't see a clear way of funding them. So I think at that point, you know, the board might want to talk about going back to the county and, and making some arguments for being able to, to budget a higher number than what we know we can fund given the current uh, makeup of our financial relationship with the county. Anybody have other thoughts? Or any, any thoughts on the operating part of the budget? Splen, your hand is still up. I don't know if that's an old hand or a new hand. And old hand, sorry about that, Alan. Okay. So any comments on what I'm suggesting from the committee? Mr. Jackson, what are your thoughts? You've been quiet tonight. I am, I am enjoying the dialogue. Thank you very much, Sheriff Fox. Um, hmm. I, I would have. I support Kim, and I've been over this, and I certainly support the the recommendation that she's made. But I'm, I am mindful. Alan, of your experience as a, as a CFO, and if there, if you have any trepidation, if you have any concerns, I certainly want to factor those in. Well, I, I just gave you my concern. I have very little experience in financial management of a county organization like we have, just what I think is common sense given the situation that we're in. 
Uh, this, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, um, you know, the, the budget oversight committee is going through all the capital requests. And um, there is probably uh, a cultural um, bias that we can't do things. So like if we need a facelift at uh, San Leandro, has anybody even put in that request, right? So um, to me, these are uh, things that you, that you don't, you're not necessarily gonna do in the next six months, right? It takes, you have to plan for some of these things. But I feel like maybe in our organization, because of our history and the fact that we're used to, you know, using duct tape, that we may not um, be seeing everything that we might, you know, need to do. Uh, I know we got a great group of folks that have submitted a lot of requests. Uh, so I guess from 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 my perspective, you have to do a balance. You can do, you know, you can make you can maintain things, but you also need to constantly be looking at what's going to get you a return, right? So that you can pay for more stuff. And it has to be a balance of all of that, which I think is done best in a in a strategic planning or long-range financial planning process, uh, and not in the next 12 months, right? Well, hopefully the strategic plan will have a capital component so we can see that. If, if I may, what, what we've done in the past 14 months is really played a lot of catch up, but Trustee Splendorio kind of alluded to it. There's a lot of deferred maintenance and you heard um, uh, Mario talking about that during his report. And so I think we've made some headway, but Kim's right. We can't do it all overnight. We can't do it in one fell swoop, but the work has begun. And I, I think anecdotally, we've heard from a lot of staff that they're pleased to see that we're addressing some, some long-standing issues. The, the trustees have heard um, from the ED about the new monitors that we got in the ED, you know, perhaps um, we approved them about eight months ago. I think they are just coming online a few months ago. So, so the work has begun, but we cannot do it all at one time. And so we're trying to be prudent, but we have a bit of a surplus. And so it's an opportunity for us to, to make hay. And so I'd like for us to be mindful, but also to, you know, to some extent be aggressive in trying to make up for a lot of the deferred maintenance. All right, I think, I think we're kind of in agreement I think the other thing we have to, to, to realize is that even, even if we had a $100 million capital budget, we don't have the wherewithal to execute all of those purchases and projects. And, you know, we shouldn't fall on our sword for things that we, that there's no way we have the, the capacity to do because we're just too busy. But those things that we think we can do and those things that we need, I think the board's telling you guys go for it. Splen? Again, I, 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 it's a change in culture, you know, using tape and using glue to keep us going is not a recipe for not only for survival, but to attain the goals that we're going to set for ourselves for this system and for the community. Um, and that requires investment. Sorry, that's my dog. I agree. Um, and I think I've, so, no, I've noticed in, in past experience that uh, organizations that have lost money for several years, everybody has the uh, has a sometimes incorrect conclusion that there's no money available, and that's not often not the case. We're getting close to the end of our time, so uh, uh, Trustee Friedman and our COO have comments. 
And then I think we're gonna end this, this item. I appreciate it, any comment that anybody might have on target guidance for operating results because I don't really have anything to add on that. Uh, unfortunately, my comments on our, are not on that. I think it's uh, pretty clear that 30 million in capital improvements 10 years ago buys a lot less than 30 million in capital improvements today with the supply chain problems and escalating costs. Um, we're going to need significantly greater investment in order to do anything significant. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Mr. Fratsky? I, I'll make it real quick, um, but I, in, in terms, I agree with James. I think it's totally um, appropriate um, for the, our budget oversight committee to, to consider the request, um, Trustee Fox, that you and Trustee Splendoro have made of us, um, given the longstanding um, capital deficiencies we've had here. So, you know, we, we'll, we will do that. Thank you. All right, and I think that that um, the board is uh, taking a pass on giving you target guidance for the operating budget. I don't, I, I don't feel, and I, I suspect the other trustees don't feel that we have a clear enough um, uh, vision of where that could be. So I think we're just going to ask administration to to do a forthright uh, and uh, honest assessment of where we they think we can be and should be budgeting. And we will look hard at, at the numbers you prevent, present us with and uh, uh, coming up with a conclusion on whether we agree. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you for that presentation. It definitely was illuminating as to what we're dealing with with the budget process and where we're going. Um, now we're getting to some action items, which is the approval of uh, some contracts. Uh, and uh, does, uh, does anybody wanna hear any specific discussion on any of the contracts prior to uh, moving approval? Uh, let's talk first about D1, uh, the contract the renewal with the Alameda County Sheriff's Office. Would anybody like to make a motion on that contract? Uh, is it I'm possible for us to make a motion on all the contracts or do we need? Yeah, I, I do have a couple of questions. Um, I, I move approval of this one. So second. Okay, any discussion? Can we have a, a roll call vote, Madam Clerk? Uh, Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. Motion passes, thank you. Okay, item D2, extension agreement. Uh, with the Bass Medical Group for provision of uh, traumatic surgery uh, services for orthopedics. Any questions on this one or discussion? Can I hear a motion for approval? Also move. 
Can I hear a second? Can I second? Yes, I second. I, I was just trying to get off mute. It was uh, giving okay. me a problem. I second. Any discussion? Okay, roll call. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. Aye. Motion passes. Okay, the next contract is a renewal of the agreement that we have with Kindred Rehab uh, to manage our inpatient hospital uh, re rehabilitation services at San Leandro. And I had a couple of questions on that one. One of them is, uh, am I correct that the uh, therapists who provide the medical ser clinical services there are our, our employees and not kindreds? That is correct. That is correct, okay. And the educators, I think the uh, write-up said that there were two educators, community educators. Are those the, the, the people that go out to other hospitals and help um, uh, educate patients on the benefits of choosing our acute rehab program? Richard, could you comment? Sure, uh, so Trustee Fox, those are actually clinical liaisons. And so in order to uh, meet criteria to be accepted to an acute rehab, uh, you need to have certain criteria met and you need to do a pre-assessment by CMS regulations. And so the clinical liaisons are working with the hospitals to ensure that patients that are referred to us or patients that could be referred to us meet the criteria. And those are patients who are in other hospitals before transfer? Uh, others and our own. Okay, so we, did get, we do get patients from other hospitals, correct? We do. Um, our priority is our own hospitals first. Right. Do uh, market to other external hospitals as well to make sure that we can keep the census high. Right. And and when we market to other hospitals, I know that usually with rehab, there's a little bit of competition in terms of, uh, you know, there's a patient and the patient often has a family that are making a decision on where the patient's going to go. Uh, and I know that uh, maybe marketing expenses are not cost reportable expenses, but what we might call community education can sometimes have to do with educating the patients and, the, and families on what our program is about, uh, what our, how nice our facility is and so forth. And do we have people from Kindred doing that? So the clinical liaisons do perform okay. that well. And, and just to you know, add a little more context to the contract, Kindred um, has been uh, really responsible for our teams becoming CARF accredited with the highest accreditation, which is a three-year accreditation, two years back-to-back. -back. And so that accreditation is a, um, uh, a world accreditation. It's, it's accredited across the world. Right. So to have that high accreditation based on Kindred's support to get us that accreditation is it's one of the things. Right. Understood. That's the pinnacle of uh, rehab units. So uh, correct. And so they do market that information and, and San Leandro on getting that accreditation. So uh, do we? We is it true then we do not uh, provide rehab services at Fairmont? So Fairmont uh, has sniff rehab services, which okay. we ourselves, but the acute rehab is a different level of care. All right. Any other discussion? Can we hear a motion, please? I move approval. Second. Second. Okay. Can we have a roll call, please? Uh, Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. 
Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes. Okay, next uh, is item D4, renewal of the agreement with virtual radiology professionals of California. This is for uh, remote uh, radiology, diagnostic radiology interpretation services at Highland. One question I had is on the write-up, um, it said that, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but something like 51% increase in costs in this contract, but that VRAD will be assigning certain collections to AHS. Uh, and Dr. Tornabeni, maybe you can throw some light on this, but um, what collections are they going to assign to us that's going to offset the increase? If I'm, or am I not interpreting this correctly? The, why, why, have an increase, why have an increase if you're gonna just turn over collections that offset it? Yeah, I understood it was the professional fees. Ira, can you clarify? Yes, um, these are the services that they provide and they assign all of their professional fees and they always have. Um, what the reality is, is that they don't ever see those. So they live off of what we pay them essentially. And they have experienced a significant increase in um, demand for compensation during the, co the, the pandemic, et cetera. And they essentially gave us notice that they could just no longer afford to continue providing services under the prior rates. And they did this not just with us, but with all of their um, clients. It was an across the board. And so we had to make a decision on what we could do. Leadership looked not only at this proposal, mm -hmm. but also from other competitors, as I understand it. And all, they were all aligned. They were all going to be significantly increased. And one other key element, unfortunately, was that even if we had wanted to transition to a different vendor or provider, every one of them, including VRAD, if we had left them and wanted to return, said that it would take, because of the backlog in people in the queue to join, between eight and 10 months to sign up. And that is quite material because of the length of time it would take us to plug in anybody. There's a huge amount of IT interfacing and credentialing additions that needs to happen. So essentially, we were not given much of a choice. So, but if, if, if we're going to have their collections, are their collections going to increase anywhere near as much as the fees we're paying them? Um, the, the collections will, I believe the analysis projected um, based on volume increases, because it's all based on volumes as, and collection ratios. So we have always created, um, realized certain um, collections from them. And I believe based on what we anticipated volume increases over the coming years of the contract term, we built that in. But there is nothing additional to that. This is just a carryover of the current um, collections that we receive. Okay, so it sounds like that because of the changing market for remote radiology services, we're gonna have a significant increase in our net cost probably. In, well, in our top line cost, if I understand it, not a finance person, but um, if you look at it, and I think I tried to state it in the write-up you referred to, when we will have a net in, we will have a top line increase of $566,000 compared to that under the current agreement, and that's what we're actually paying to VRAD. But the offset will actually net out a positive of $633,000 over the two-year term of the proposed agreement after you factor in the collections. So either 
either we're going to have a lot more volume that we're collecting on or the rate that's being paid uh, is going up commensurate with what, the, what we're paying them or our, our collection or, you know, our collection effort is going to be a lot more successful. I can't speak to the level of our, our effort on collections. Um, I, I do know that we've always, as I said, and I hope I'm trying to answer your question, we've always realized, as I understand it, a positive net return, if you want to, on the service line because of the collections reality. This is just continuing under this. If anything, it's probably less. I don't actually have what the net was under the current contract, and I apologize, but this is going to continue as far as the analysis given. Okay. Well, I understand the imperative of our renewing this contract, and I don't have any problem with it. I think uh, that perhaps the finance department should look at this carefully in preparing next year's budget to see if the professional fees that we're collecting can really increase more than the level of what we're paying on this contract because uh, it sounds like that's i'm a little fuzzy on whether uh, how that is going to happen so i just make that we, we can look we, we'll, we'll validate how's that no problem and and even if it turns out that the increase in collections is not covering the increase we're paying the radiologists at least our budget can be accurate in that regard any other I'll move approval. any second, second. Second. Any, any other discussion? Madam Clerk? Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. That brings us to the end of our agenda. Uh, any other comments, suggestions, uh, postmortems? All right. We are adjourned. See you all next month, if not sooner. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.